and welcome to Gibraltar Stories. I'm Lindsay Weston. This week, I'm sharing a personal story with you, that of Gibraltar's Deputy Mayor and the Principal of the Gibraltar Academy of Music and Performing Arts, Christian Santos. He shares some of the highlights of his career so far, including one of his biggest achievements to date, which happened earlier this year. We went to the John McCall and it got filled with 700 kids. Nearly all the schools took part and it was amazing. It was honestly seeing all those kids and singing together and the message was so positive and it is one of the things that I just thought, I hope if we've only changed one kid's life, that is more than enough. But I hope that lots of kids will look back and say, I remember when that happened. I remember when I realised that I was amazing. From his first role on the stage as a tree in a school production to acting alongside Kenneth Branagh and performing in front of Michael Jackson when he worked for Disney in Japan, Christian Santos has had a very varied performing career. These days he's returned to his hometown of Gibraltar where he runs Gamper, the Gibraltar Academy of Music and Performing Arts. On the top floor of the Gamper building is a special recording studio where academy students can record their own performances. That's where Christian and I had a chat about his career so far. I started out by asking him whether music and performing had always been a big part of his life. My first experience on stage was as a tree in the teddy bear's picnic. But, um, you know, I still remember I remember my costume. I remember being full out as a tree in my little corner. And um, I was always involved in school. It's something I've always wanted to do. Uh, when I was young, I wanted to play the cello. Um, but at the time, there wasn't a cello teacher because I, I, I decided to start learning when the whole music center was ending and it didn't work out at that time. So I ended up doing piano. And yeah, um, I did piano from a very young age. I was involved in school productions. And then I got into singing when I was like... 15 or 16, you know, when my voice broke and um, doing it for exams. And that's how it all kind of started for me. It was a foregone conclusion then from being a child that you would you would follow this on as a career and, and go on to study it. For me, it was, yes. And um, it's something I tell all my students that, uh, that, that I have now and I work with the kids now. Um, now it's something that's feasible. It's an opportunity. It's a career. Back then it, it wasn't. It wasn't in Gibraltar, at least. Here you kind of had to be a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher. or And that wasn't even like the norm. Going to, to study when I was a young child wasn't the norm. Like very few people went. For me, it was no question. I was going to do this. And it, it was a very strange concept for me to to think of something else, if you know what I mean. Like, people be like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you kind of never say, I want to be the singer or an actor. And it was never even about that. And I'd be like, oh, I'm going to be a hotel manager one time. Or I wanted to be, um, I don't even remember. It was so meaningless. And when I was 18, um, 
I'd already decided, and I remember it was like I had to go to Bayside when you had to, like your your, your UCAS at the time, no? and uh, you had to choose, and the computer gave you courses, and I remember like the the uh, the teacher who was in charge of that had no idea how to advise me on it. It was like, what on earth is this? And it wasn't strange, but I wanted to go to a vocational school initially, not university, and that wasn't something that we'd you know come across in this field. So. Um, for me, it was very clear, and I had my mind set on it. And my mum tried to uh, steer my, you know, career path somewhere else. She wanted to secure, I don't know, go to law or go to study law, or go to study education. But um, I was quite an academic kid as well. But I was like, there's no way, there's no way I'm doing anything other than that. So the deed was done then. Was yes, it? <laughs> indeed. For me, it was very clear from a very young age. My head was there. I used to, and I always tell my, my friends now, and it's. It's like one of our jokes, you know, when you're young and you played at the time, you used to play with Action Man, other girls used to play with Barbies, or I had these things called Action Force, which were like um, tiny little figurines, you know. I used to play s stage shows. Like, I used to have these things, and it would be like, yes, I've got more people. I used to, like, put them together, do Eurovision or do shows, and, like, that's how I would play, you know. Or, or I never did anything other than that. No, it was always going to be this, then. Always. So where did you end up studying? So uh, I started um, at Nottingham Trent. I did a degree in contemporary arts. It was... At the time, we didn't have an academy. We didn't really have much advice other than our teachers. I had um, my, my mentors for life, basically, that Charlie and Helen Chappie, uh, who helped me along the way with the music, and then Christine Thompson and Jim Penny, who used to do workshops out of their own free time. And they... Uh, Christine trained at, at Lambda, I think it was. So she kind of introduced me to vocational schools and that. So uh, it wasn't something that was the norm here. So we weren't very aware of it. I, I, I think I went to audition for Guildhall, but they were like, you're too young at 17. Um, and I wasn't ready at all. I look back now and I think, Poof, cringe. Um, <laughs> so I did my classical vo voice training here. And then I thought, I don't want to do classical or musical theater yet. So I went and studied contemporary arts. So it was performance, dance, fine arts, and music for the first year, and then you kind of chose two, and I did music and performance. So it was more like contemporary um, contemporary performance, not mainstream theater and stuff like that. And then once I was there, I worked with lots of different people, lots of different practitioners who came, and um, one of my friends who was a year older went to audition for Mount Youth Theatre School and she got in and she did her postgrad there and I thought, wow, I'm going to totally go for it. So I did. I went uh, for Mount Youth Theatre School for the musical theatre and acting course and then I went into, uh, I auditioned at Lanes and I auditioned at Guildford School of Acting. And I was lucky I got the three, I think. Um, I don't know. Um, I just got into the three. I was a boy as well and boys are, you know, uh, it's easier to get in and... Um, I worked hard and I was ready. You know, when you know that you're ready and I was ready. So I got into Mount View and then I trained there. And um, that's where I completed my musical theatre training and then I got an agent and I set off to work. Wow. So you'd, uh, you'd achieved your goal. You'd got all the qualifications you needed and the experience and then it was a case of putting it into practice. What, what were your first few jobs? Well, um, I've always been a bit of a go-getter and um, that comes from coming from a small community like Gibraltar, where you kind of had to fight for everything. Now we've got everything very easily accessible. But at the time, you really had to fight for, for, for what you wanted. And then when you went abroad, you were automatically that foreign kid from a small town. And you're like, mm, I need to fight that little bit harder. 
So it was um, one of those things that before, in my last term, before you graduate, you have a West End showcase. And during those few months, you can start auditioning. So I, my first professional job was recording a, a CD for a new musical. I worked with these composers. They cast me in this uh, concept album. And I did that whilst I was still at college. I used to go to Greenwich and record. It was great. It was a great, great experience. And then I got a job immediately after I graduated. I did a tour of Spain doing English theatre. And that was only for two or three months. And then I went back to London. So I got an agent uh, who are great. And actually, my agents at the time are now the agents of Simon Boland, who's um, a local who's currently in the West yes. now. Yes, doing fame at the moment. He's doing and fame. And well. <laughs> yes, yeah, he's doing excellent. He was one of, our, of one of my students here when he started with the singing. You know, he was always a dancer with uh, Dancer Academy, but then he did the singing with us. So it's, it's great. Like, we had the same agent, so we... Um, anyway, it was just a, a nice little conversation we had. It was just you know, with Caroline. But anyway, so then um, I started working and auditioning and, you know, grinding um, the pavements and just being an actor, you know, working during the day and going to auditions and, and working. But you didn't just do theatre on land, I believe, didn't you involve... Uh the sea as well yes, yes. <laughs> go on the Disney well, cruises <laughs> <laughs> yeah basically I started off um, doing that that was my first job straight out of college and then when I came back in January because that was from September from October to December I came back and I was doing lots of stuff I did a few things for TV for Channel 4 I did a few like these um, short films that they do in, in, in festivals and then I worked in Holland Park I was involved in Madame Butterfly at the time I did a lot of cabaret work and then I used to work with some of uh, other West End singers who um, we formed this uh, um, this four-part company cabaret um, show that we did, which was great. And then um, I just wanted to work, you know what I mean? And I just wanted to sing and, and I thought, well, I really want to travel and, and do the cruise ships, which at the time, a lot of people advised me against it because then it's like, it's not what you want to do, you want to be here. And I was like, I just want to sing and earn money and travel. And so... I worked first for a um, cruise liner called Sun Cruises, and then I moved to Disney on the Disney Cruise Line as a singer in the shows, and then that started my career off with Disney, which was six years. I did two years on the ship and four years in Tokyo. The ship was amazing, and I got to travel with both companies. I got to travel all over Europe. I did all the Caribbean. <laughs> I, I saw parts of the world I never have um, you know, been able to without having worked not in that field and then after two years on the ship I was like okay I want to move on and I want to go back on land <laughs> so um, throughout this I was always in between contracts I was always in London I still had my house in London I did a lot of stuff there still no? I did this uh, mini series with Kenneth Branagh called Shackleton about this and I was a receptionist you know it was really bizarre it wasn't anything major but it was great because my scene was with Kenneth Branagh so wow. it was like a master class <laughs> in acting just there Absolutely. with my little three line exchange it was the experience though, exactly it? it was just being there and it, the whole thing that goes with it you know it wasn't even just going back they treat you like you are like equally important the day before I had to go to Angels and they this it was a period costume no? and they try the costumes and the wigs and everything and they, they pick you up from your house they take you to the studio and they treat you like you're the main star and you're basically like you know someone in the background doing three lines in a reception in a hotel and I had to, that was amazing the whole experience of working with him and see how he works and you just observe and you think poof this is you know this is what it's all about but anyway I then ended up in Tokyo and I was there for four years and 
I don't know, it was then I did lots of different shows and I did lots of different recordings and special events. And how does Disney in Tokyo kind of match okay. up? Do they have a Disney World there then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ah, right. Disney, basically, they have parks in different parts of the world. Right. Tokyo's different. Tokyo's not as, it's like a franchise, it's very strange. It's a Tokyo company that owns the Disney parks. And Disney oversees it and they have their cast, but it's not owned by Disney as all the others are. So um, they have an two sets of casting. They have the international casting and they have the Japanese casting. So I just worked in one of the parks and one of the shows and there everything's, it's, it's a bit different because there's one park which is Disneyland which is like Euro Disney and Magic Kingdom and all that, a bit smaller. And then you have Disney Sea which is a bit more for adults and it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's got different, like, it's got a Venetian side and then it's got an American waterfront and it's got um, the Amazon area. And I was in the American waterfront in this 2000-seater theatre um, called the Broadway Music Theatre and we did like a Broadway show and um, it was fantastic. I was mm. there for four years. I did that show and then I did another one called Mini O Mini in Fantasyland, which was like a Latin show. And I used to split, you know, the, between two shows and we got to meet loads of amazing people. Um, we were, I don't know, it was, it was great. I got to meet Cher. Yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't like a me- she wasn't my friend <laughs> you know we just I just crossed our so I changed room because they come backstage so I got to meet Cher for like 30 seconds then I had my amazing encounter with Michael Jackson that I keep on telling people about I just oh, uh, yeah it was great when I, I basically bumped into Michael Jackson's bodyguard because I was going in Disney the cast can't go in the main area you mm-hmm. have to go through a backstage area but it was my friend's birthday I wanted to go to the castle to buy like a, a glass slipper that they have no so it was kind of like escaping from the backstage area into the main area. But he was coming in because he'd just seen my show with, from the lighting booth. But the lighting booth is outside. So he was running in and I was running out and I bumped into this um, massive guy, you know, was his bodyguard. And I ended up on the floor. Michael Jackson stayed there and made sure that I was fine. It was, boy, oh it was It's word. a hysterical story now because it was like, how do you meet Michael Jackson? Well, it's not you made an impression. <laughs> well, I'm sure he didn't remember me after that day, you know, but I do remember yeah, my one encounter it. and he was quite nice about it. He helped me up and he was like, he had his mask on. He was like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah. He said, oh, you've just performed the show. I've just seen you. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, fantastic. And then they went. So, yeah, and then we met, and you know who I met, who no one really cares about, but I love it, Alan Menken, who writes all the Disney shows. We met him too, and he was, well, no one really cared much, because he's a composer, but for me, it's like my dream to meet someone like that, you know. He's been responsible for so much work you've performed. Exactly. But you know, when you're young, at the time I was like 26, and I was one of the older ones in my cast, like the 19-year-olds weren't really, you know, they're like... (laughs) Little Mermaid and, and Aladdin and that were a bit further away yeah. from their age band. But anyway, it was a great experience. I loved it. That sounds amazing. It was fantastic <laughs> for me. You know. So what followed Tokyo then? So then I was hitting 30. I was going to be 30 and I thought, okay, I can either stay with a Disney company who treat you very well, if you do, go back to London and try and get back into the, the circuit there, or come back to Gibraltar and start a business. And I'll tell you what it was about. <laughs> After performing for like nine years and performing other people's work, it got a bit tiring for me. There are people who just want to be performers, but I never just wanted to perform. So I thought, I want to produce something. I know that staying in the Disney company would have been great. 
Like right now, 12 years on, uh, friends of mine who stayed, one is now head of international casting for Tokyo, the other one's a choreographer in Disneyland, the other one is now head of entertainment for Disney Cruise Line. So if you would have stayed there, they treat you very well and, and you go up the ranks. But I thought, it might not happen. And I thought, I want to start a production company. I'm going to go back to Gibraltar. I'll have my family. I'll spend time with my family. My parents were getting older. Um, and I wanted to come back home. I don't know. I just thought, I want to come here for a while and see what I can do. And I gave myself three years. So for three years, I kept in touch with everyone and all the casting directors from Disney and all these people. So they kept on offering me gigs all the time because, um, I don't know, they just... And I was like, give me a few more years. And if I don't make it work... And I'll go back. It's no skin off my back. So I came back and I started Santos Productions. And basically, you know, I just got it going and started lots of different projects. And then that was that. I'm still here. Absolutely. And from coming back and creating it from nothing, we're sitting here in Gampa, in your own premises, in the upper town. And uh, it's just... It worked, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, the thing with Santos Productions was it started as a production company. One of the first things that I did was um, a talent show called Star Search. And the kids were hungry for something. There was a lot of dance going on, which is, which is fantastic. There's always been lots of, of, of dance going. But kids wanted to do more singing, more acting. And I thought, oh, I'll start my own little academy. And I started with seven. I started as a choir first. The Santos Productions choir was only seven kids when we started. And then I thought, hmm, I'm going to start my academy. I got a studio. Um, I got it really soon and I was very lucky because there's a waiting list for studios. What happened is that they offered that studio to everyone on the list and everyone said no. It had a hole in the ceiling and it had a hole in the ground and I thought, I put my money where my mouth is. I invested my, my own money in fixing it up and that's why I got it so soon. No one wanted it. So um, I fixed it up and I thought, this is it. And I started Santos Productions Academy on my own. I was doing all the classes, singing and acting. And then I got, uh, Tanya came over and started teaching the acting. Anthony Roper, I, I roped him in, um, pardon the pun. <laughs> and uh, he started doing one-to-ones with me as well. And then it grew and grew. And Santos Productions kept on going bigger. And the academy kept on going bigger. And I always wanted an academy of music and performing arts with everything. And there was a lot of people doing a lot of things around and just thought, you know, I, pr- I met with ministers and associations and all different types of people. And I presented a business plan, a proposal, everything. And then at one point, I don't even remember how it happened. We were all asked to present something. And then there was someone in charge of putting everything together and that didn't work out. And then the minister called me in and was like, I like your proposal. I need an academy. Make it happen. And... It was a bit like that. And I'm a bit... I'm the type of person who will always fight for something, even if it might not be the best thing at the time. Because I remember that initially when we got... We got the Flat Bastard magazine, yes. which is a space. Is it the best place for my academy? No, it was the best place at the time. And it was great. I could convert it into whatever I wanted. And, and we have like a big room and we had a small room and then four practice rooms. But then I had my own studio. So we used my own studio and I had another studio and I had kids in Bayside. And the academy grew. And when Gampa started in 2015, we started with a lot of children because I brought all my acting and singing students. And then I hired lots of new teachers and we had lots, lots going on. And then we outgrew that place very quickly because we had six rooms there. But then I was using Bayside, two rooms in Bayside. I had my studio five days a week, four to eight. I was using someone else's studio. And then... This place in the upper town came up. I, I was just like, I need a place. I'm, 
all over. I can't keep up. I can't keep up with my stuff. I don't know what's going on in one place. I'm running around. And then, you know, the, the government said, listen, we've got this place. Make it happen. And I did and they did. And here we are in a fantastic, fantastic venue. We've got great premises with great facilities. And it's all, you know, because of the hard work of everyone involved. So what do you offer here at Gamper today? Okay. So we offer classes in singing and acting uh, and all the instruments that you can think of except harp. We don't have anyone that teaches harp at the moment, but we offer one-to-one tuition, paired tuition and group classes for children uh, from reception year in school and then up to adults. Adults, we only offer one-to-one tuition, but kids can choose group or one-to-one. And then we've got a great scholarship program. We've got uh, the support of the Parasol Foundation. as who, who offer a scholarship program and we're able to fund lots of group classes and we give scholarship to kids who've got a lot of potential or who have achieved a, a, you know, the standard of excellence and it's great. We, we've got great support from the community and you know we work hard in running it the best way we possibly can and giving every child the opportunity that we can. And how does it feel to be instrumental in children's lives when you see a spark of potential um, and and to see them go on and achieve it when when you had such a struggle to a degree because the facilities weren't there for you when you were their age? How does it feel to know that you're facilitating this journey for them? I'm I'm really proud of what we're achieving, myself and my team. I can't take all the credit, you know, but... um, for me, it's it's very special to see someone who's been in your room and, and, and in, in your class and see them achieve something. And you know what happens? A lot of people think that it's like, because I've got, we've got a lot of students. We've got Simon, who's doing really well. And we've got the other Simon, who's now in King Calloway. And we've got kids who are doing fantastic things abroad. But it's not only the kids who actually get into uh, this industry. For me, it's about every child succeeding in the chosen field because we teach them about the arts but for me it's very important to teach them at least in my classes about being a decent human being being disciplined being organized and my aim is to teach the future leaders of our generation teach them the values and morals that make a good person how to work in a team and those are skills that they learn at the academy via their instrument via their their, the singing or via their performing but it's important for me it's all about hard work determination discipline being a good team player so for me seeing a kid the other day I started my adult choir which is all my students that are coming back and I've got some of them employed here as teachers I walk into the classes and for me seeing how they teach and, and what they teach and the values that they teach I'm like this is what I'm really proud of. You know, if you're good, you're good and you develop their skills. Um, but some of them, the adult choir came back and some of them are accountants. They're working in the financial services. And, and you think, I'm so proud of them because they're great human beings. They're great people. They're fantastic people to be around. And I just think that is the greatest achievement. That's what I feel I have really made a difference in, if you know what I mean, there. I mean, creating a, a, a group of amazing adults. I guess it's life skills, isn't it? Yeah. Aside from the music or the performance, yeah, yeah, yeah. isn't it, really? Yeah, it's all about that as well. The, the performing arts are, you will learn about the performing arts, but then you learn life skills through it. It's it, That's what you really take from it, because not everyone's going to be an actor or a pianist or a trumpeter, or, but you are all going to be people, and you're all going to work in a community and live in a society that needs 
amazing individuals with great life skills and, and the potential to be the, the, the leaders of the future, you know. And music in Gibraltar isn't, isn't, it's not just limited to music in Gibraltar because, I mean, you've, you've taken choirs all over the place to represent yeah. Gibraltar overseas. That must be a wonderful experience for young children as well who, who otherwise wouldn't have had it, that chance. It is, it is. Um, I love um, taking the choir, especially to competitions. We work really hard. It's a struggle and it's a tough ride. It's not an easy ride. But um, it's a great experience. And we do very well abroad as well, which is great. You know, we don't go and we're like, we qualify for the top awards and we qualify for the top categories and we're there. And, and I am a bit of a slave driver sometimes. But, you know, it's like, it's an expensive trip. It's fundraising. People are believing in you. You need to give something back. We are, we are performing under the Gibraltar Youth Choir, the Gibraltar name and brand. And we cannot be... Rubbish. And other than that, I need to teach them that you need to work to achieve something. And it's great. And we do really well. We've got we've had amazing experiences. The kids love it. It's great for the kids and how independent they become, because I don't think kids nowadays are exposed to that. If you know what I mean, like we we kind of parent kids a bit uh, more than than we used to when I was younger. You know, it's just what it is. And, And before we used to play in the streets and now kids don't do that. So. We were more street smart before, and these trips are amazing. You see the kids change in four days. They start, and then they're independent. They, they, they have their own schedules to follow, and it's fantastic fun. Now, aside from Gamper, it's been a huge year for you personally. Mm. Um, certainly, my child was involved in the I Am Me uh, program that you did around the schools. Can you tell me a little bit about that? I Am Me is actually one of the, the best things I've done in my life, I think, for me. Uh, one of my biggest achievements and um, and I'm so proud of having done that program. I Am Me started off as a play a few years ago that, that did really well at the drama festival which was about identity and, 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 and then I wanted to develop it into something bigger, take it into schools and it was more like an anti-bullying campaign, self-esteem, confidence building campaign. I wanted to go into schools and try my hardest to make these kids realize how amazing you are as an individual. And kids are exposed to a lot now, not only on a personal level and on a, on a you know, in school, but also on social media. Whilst before you used to go to school and someone could have picked on you, now it goes, it transcends that. It goes into your p- private time at home. And I've encountered many different kids with many different issues and I just thought these kids shouldn't be having these issues. Um, and I think, well, it's very easy for me to say, I just want to do something about it. So basically my, my team and I, we developed this, this program called I Am Me, which is about loving yourself and knowing that what you have to offer is what makes you amazing. So we had two strands. We had Monica and Tanya, who used to go into the schools and do confidence building workshops. And it was great. The kids responded really well. And we basically told them this happens and just, you know, how to, or or our advice on how to, you know, get over it or or at least make them realize that, that, you know, there's a lot of issues with kids and the self-esteem. And then my part was working with the choirs and we did this song that some of my students had written and we recorded that. And we're going to release a video soon. We're having issues, <coughs> sorry, excuse me, <coughs> with the images at the moment. But we're producing the video and, and we'll see what we come up with because some stuff has been deleted. So it's a bit 
of a touchy subject. So oh but we recorded the song and we got kids from all different schools doing the solos. And then we went to the John McCall and it got filled with 700 kids. N- nearly all the schools took part. And it was amazing. It was honestly seeing all those kids and singing together. And the message is so positive. And it is one of the things that I just thought, I hope if we've only changed one kid's life, that is more than enough. But I hope that lots of kids will look back and say, I remember when that happened. I remember when I realized that I was amazing because we are amazing. And sometimes we can have that energy go wrong for us, if you know what I mean. You can either become a little bit egocentric or then you think, oh, I can't think like that. And sometimes you have to accept who you are and that you're amazing and I adore differences myself, so I, I, I want everyone to embrace their differences and what makes them unique. Well, it certainly had an impact in our house because my seven-year-old came straight home and told me all about Mr <laughs> Santos, who'd come into school and taught him to okay. sing and spoken about these very important issues. So it certainly reached home as far as our family's oh, concerned. fantastic. That's good. <laughs> so also this year, you got married. I did. I did indeed. Something I never thought would happen. Um, I got married in June. I met my now husband six years ago. And I never thought I would marry. Not only because the law wasn't on my side then, but just it was something that I've never really understood, right? And when the law passed, I thought, oh, fantastic. Um, And then, it sounds really strange, but Brexit came along. And I've given no thought to Brexit. I'm just like riding the wave of let's see what happens. But at one point, I thought, wait a second, what if imagine something happens because my husband's Spanish, right? What if by any circumstance something were to happen and he'd have to go back and then we'd have no ties? And I think, wow, I really should do something about it. If I feel that strongly about separating from this person, why not make it official? And then thinking about it some more, I thought, I can get married and I want to also show that my relationship is as normal, as mainstream as everyone else's. And I thought, that's my, I'm not, and I, I always congratulate the people who fought for that, for, for you know, passing the, the, um, the law for um, same-sex marriage, because I never, I'm not that type of person who will, I don't, it's not a field where I'm comfortable in, and fighting for something like that, not just for this, but in general. But I think maybe getting married and, 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 being uh, so well known in young people was my little grain of sand in this like oh okay oh so it is actually fine you know and the people who fought for it like um whenever they comment on it i'm like thank you so much because it's because of them that i could do what i did and hopefully in my wedding i had this reading this this section with the song i am me which was about Love and how some people still, I have friends of mine who didn't come to my wedding because of their religious beliefs, you know, and you think, you know, that still goes on and, but it's fine. Love is love and every, every relationship and every partnership is, is equal and should be considered equal. And that was my little grain of sand. I enjoyed it. I had a great day, but um, it's about making it. You know, for me, it was like, it's normal. I don't, I don't feel I have to, you know, I just did it and, and it was a great day. And I hope that people who were there thought, wow, this is just like my wedding or the wedding of my brother and my sister, my brother and my sister-in-law. And it was my little attempt at 
normalizing it. I don't, I don't know how to put it into words without sounding really patronizing or childish, but it's, you know, it's, it's like I did it because I'm in love with, with, with my now husband and I wanted to share it with the world and have the same uh, wedding that everyone has. And I could, and so I did. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I've seen a few pictures and it looks absolutely beautiful. It was a great day. Yeah. It was a great day. And it, it was shared with everyone that I love. And, you know, no doubt there's a lot of people who shared the videos or the photos because it happens with every wedding in Gibraltar. <laughs> some people myself thought it was beautiful and some people myself thought, oh, no, these two guys, they should have been doing it. Well, listen, you know, it's what it is. I try to live my life and I hope people live theirs and that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so in addition to all this... You also became deputy mayor. I did. That was a bit of a shocker for me at the time. It was completely unexpected then, It was, was it? completely unexpected. I'll tell you why. I've always wanted to be mayor. <laughs> but I thought it would happen when, you're, when I was older. I'll tell you, when, um, when, well, actually, when Cayenne won Miss World, and I was privileged enough to present her to Gibraltar, we were at the City Hall. I and remember when I came it well. Out, yeah. I remember it. We were there. And I came out of that balcony and I was like... Oh, really want to be mayor and I really would love to do be a mayor um, that I because I'm very I'm a very active person and I'd love to be able to do different projects and different programs and represent be the representative of Gibraltar in a, in a different way maybe I don't know just in my own way uh, but anyway I'd never really spoken about it with anyone so um, the day that it got announced I got a call from the chief minister saying, I need you in my office today, it's urgent. And I was like, oh, I've, I've actually got to go to uh, do a session in a school. He's like, you have to cancel it. You have to come right now. And I thought, oh, gosh, what on earth is this what about? Do you think you're in trouble? Well, I don't know. I'd done nothing to be in trouble, but you think, what on earth is going on? And he sat me in the office and I said, I'd like you to be the next mayor of Gibraltar. What do you think about it? Well, I was like a child. Huh? It was like a child because I didn't see it coming. It came out of nowhere. It was like... I don't know. It was an amazing, an amazing moment for me. And a moment that I knew would be met with a large uh, part of the community that would have thought it's the best move ever. And a large part of the community that would have thought, what on earth is this? Why this person? Because of the certain type of people that have been chosen as mayors. And I'm quite young, you know. I'm quite young. Still, Kayan is younger than me and she was a fantastic mayor. Um, but, you know, it was for me something that I'm really proud of. I know I'll do a great job. I've got lots of of, of, of ideas of what I want to do and John Gonzalez who's the mayor now is great he's doing an amazing job I, I actually really admire him from before being mayor we just have a relationship that goes a few years before and I'm learning a lot from what he's doing and how he's doing it because there are things that I I'll be great at projects and all that and I know that but I need to learn the protocol because as much as I want to bring my own flavour to it and maybe do a few things differently with younger people and open the city hall and do certain things like that I still need to respect the role and the gravitas that comes with it and, and you know that I have to learn before I, I go on and uh, I am and I'm very proud of, of how I'm, I'm dealing with it and it's great and hopefully you know for the the detractors, um, they'll think back and say, wow, he actually did well. And for those that um, are behind me, I hope that they think, wow, he did a better job than I expected. You know, for me, it's all about having people or myself, especially, look back at anything that I do and think, wow, boy, you did good, eh? you did good there. And that's very important for me to look back and not regret anything, because I think you regret things that you don't do. I don't tend to regret what I do. What I do, I learn from, and sometimes it goes well, sometimes it goes bad. 
So the future for Christian Santos, Lord Mayor, to be <laughs> of Gibraltar. What else do you see further down the road? I just want to continue growing as an individual and carry on working with the younger um, members of our community. And that's where I think I fall uh, bet, best at, you know, like working with young people, trying to inspire them to not give up and, and, and giving them their self-worth. I want to carry on achieving whatever whatever it is I set my mind to. You know what happens? I work on a very uh, short-term aims and goals. I'm like, okay, I want to do this now. And when I achieve it, then I have my next goal. So I don't know where will I be or what would I want to be doing in 10 years? Who knows? 10 years is a long time. Um, I want to be happy. I want to be happy in my relationship. I want to be happy in my friendships. I want everyone who works with me to be happy. It's working out fine at the moment. I want to be a great mayor when the time comes and and make Gibraltar feel proud of, of, of how I am carrying my role and for the people of Gibraltar to feel represented and say, he's done good. Yeah, that's us. That's how our community works. And... I, I know it sounds very cheesy. I just want to be happy. I just want to wake up and say, I love my life. And I've been very fortunate that my decisions in life with my career, relationships, friendships, work, everything, I've always led with my heart. And sometimes they may not have been the best decision, but they've been the one that have made me happy. And that's how I want to wake up every morning. could have listened to Christian telling me about his career and life experiences all day. I'm extremely grateful to him for finding the time in his very busy schedule to speak to me. My thanks also to the young choir at Gamper who allowed me to record their vocal warm-up exercises at the start of their class. If you'd like to find out more about the Gibraltar Academy of Music and Performing Arts, I'll include a link to their website in the show notes for this episode. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to this episode and for taking an interest in Gibraltar stories. If you enjoyed the podcast and could find the time to leave a review on your chosen podcast provider or share it on social media, I'd be very grateful as it'll help other people find the podcast more easily in future. You can listen back to any of the previous episodes on GibraltarStories.com as well as on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and Spotify. And if you have a Gibraltar story that you'd like to share, please do get in touch with me through Facebook, Instagram or Twitter or by email to GibraltarStories at gmail.com. The Gibraltar Stories podcast is presented, produced and edited by me, Lindsay Weston. Until next week, goodbye for now and thanks very much for listening.